5 o'clock on WBAI New York. Good afternoon and welcome to Driving Forces, a weekly show about politics and policy and an opportunity for you to tell us what's on your mind. Good afternoon. I'm Jeff Simmons, your co-host, and my other co-host, Celeste Katz, joins me today. Hey, Jeff. A pleasure to be here with you, as always. And big news today in the political world. Very, very big. Um, Yeah, actually... Wait, what happened? No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, former Vice President, of course, Joe Biden, announcing uh, at 6 a.m. sharp today that he is putting his hat in the ring for President of the United States for the Democratic nomination and uh, setting off uh, uh, a lot of activity. Certainly, this isn't a total surprise, but it will be very interesting to see how this pans out, given how many people are already in the race. And I thought one of the most interesting developments was the... Uh, the indication that he had a, had a conversation with Anita Hill where he expressed regrets. But then one of the more recent developments today was that she was saying that it wasn't necessarily an apology. And really, if that's going to happen, it needs to be to all the women who've been impacted. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That was very, very interesting. And of course, going back for, uh, for those of you who uh, might be a little younger, maybe were not uh, involved at that time, uh, uh, Biden was in charge of Senate Judiciary was at the time that uh, uh, the, the Senate was considering yeah. uh, the the Supreme Court nomination of Clarence Thomas and Anita Hill came forward with uh, uh, testimony about uh, allegations that he had sexually harassed her while they had worked together while Hill and Thomas had worked together. Obviously, this was a really watershed moment uh, in political history and something that we saw play out uh, in you know, sort of a variation more recently with uh, Judge Kavanaugh and uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford. And also for those listeners who are only listening but not watching, it was announced through a three and a half minute video released very early this morning. I woke up and had already a tweet from or a text message from Celeste. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously getting up at six, what, 7.01 a.m. was too late for, for you. You were already up and checking this out. He hit the button right at six. So, uh, you know, we had to, uh, I got lucky. I got lucky. I was uh, there for the for the big moment. And uh, yeah, a lot of people saying you know mixed reactions to that video, too. Some people saying that they they liked it. They liked that he's not he didn't really get into uh, economics. He didn't get into taxes. He didn't get into the military. This was a very much sort of existential crisis of the republic thing me versus donald trump. Yeah. And to me, that sets a lot of the tone of his campaign, which is like him positioning himself as the best person that could uh, could defeat Donald Trump. Right. And, you know, there's some some interesting takes on that, too. And I'm sure we will get to that with our guests. But uh, uh, somebody had described him as as putting himself out there very, very notably among the other. What is it? 19, 19, 20, 19 yeah. candidates uh, for the Democratic nomination as being sort of the anti-Trump. And uh, somebody uh, somebody tweeted out, well, it's not like. Kirsten Gillibrand didn't announce in front of Trump Tower or anything, which I thought was, uh, you know, got a point there. 
So this is going to be, uh, we expect, the primary topic today, uh, presidential politics, uh, with our guests that we have coming up. But uh, first, I believe we have a public service announcement. Ah, we do. We do. This is always a, uh, a fun time of year, a, a fun moment for us. But uh, what we want to talk to you about today is uh, WBAI needs your help. We are in the middle of uh, restoring and repairing and updating our studios so we can bring you better sound, uh, better uh, phone lines for you to call in on and uh, this is all a build out of our new master control studio but to do that we're a little short we still need ten thousand dollars so we are asking people please help us out uh, if you can if 200 people can do just fifty dollars and if you think about it fifty dollars over the course of a month it's really not that much uh, you know please help us out though this would go a long long way if just 200 people would do that but you can donate in any amount that you like the number is five one six. 620-3602. That's 516-620-3602. WBAI has been around for more than 60 years. Some of the equipment is probably that old, maybe maybe older, who knows? But younger than some of the presidential candidates. Exactly, exactly. So if you want to hear us talk about that, seriously, seriously, this is non-corporate. This is non-commercial, non-corporate radio. James is here again. Remember last week we talked about this with the creaky boom mic. We were having some a serious I mean okay you know what <laughs> this is how we're living here guys 516-620-3602 or do it right online just go to give to that's the number two give to wbai.org and click on more than mics because we do need more than mics here at wbai so we're going to bring on our first guest but before we do one other piece of information that our listeners obviously need to know during our second half hour we are going to take your calls and that number is 212-209-2877 so with that let's bring on our first guest emily no emily is a national political reporter for newsday she previously covered uh, Mayor Bill de Blasio and New York City politics, and then she followed Donald Trump from the campaign trail to the White House, uh, where she served as Newsday's correspondent. Emily, welcome to Driving Forces. Thank you for having me. So you have been doing a lot of reporting on Biden's rollout. Give us your impressions of today's rollout, where you think uh, what you thought of the three and a half minute video and also some of the developments that took place over the course of the day. Uh, so much has happened already, and we haven't even hit the 12-hour mark on the rollout of the video. It launched at 6 a.m. First words in the video, of course, as we know now, are Charlottesville, Virginia. And the video presented uh, Joe Biden very much as a general um, election candidate. He put uh, President Donald Trump at the front of the video and made him a foil and didn't speak very much about the Democratic field and sort of made his whole message an anti-Trump message. And how do you feel that it, it differed in any way uh, from you know some of the other rollouts or uh, say Bernie Sanders or uh, uh, Kamala Harris, for example? I mean, everyone's sort of trying to set them up as themselves up as the anti-Trump. What's different about Biden? Right, I guess everyone has um, something in common in that they of course have to they be very specific in their criticism uh, against Trump, and he is a common foil. Uh, Biden made it about the country as a whole and less about um, one group of people being marginalized over another, another. A lot of the Democratic primary candidates have a message about in income inequality or groups of people, communities in the country that have been left behind. 
and have put forth their policy proposals on how to close, say, um, the wage gap, on how to lift up uh, communities of color. Um, and then Biden sort of made it a broader, grander vision of how the nation should be, uh, the fact that the past three years under Donald Trump have been an aberration and how he wants to bring it back to the way it was before, whereas I would say that some of the other uh, Democratic candidates in the 2020 field are saying that there, it could be better overall, not returning to, to one point or another. And what's so interesting is that a number of these candidates really need to, from the outset, introduce themselves to voters who may not have been familiar with them. But he starts at a very strong uh, vantage point because of name recognition. Uh, what are you know? What are we looking for in this first 24 hours? Is it, for instance, the amount of money that is raised just since the announcement till tomorrow morning? Right. He comes from, I mean, no one, he has universal name recognition. That's not something that any of the other candidates, as you point out, can boast about. Um, he is polling at an average 30 uh, percent in, in, among the Democratic primary contenders. And he, you know, he was a part of the polls even long before he announced. And he's taking a chunk, a 30 percent chunk. That's a really big chunk out of a, a field of 30 people. Uh, these first 24 hours, of course, are crucial. People want to boast about their fundraising numbers. Uh, Beto O'Rourke pulled in a huge number in his first 24 numbers, not, and not just in the millions, but you want to talk a lot about how many donors you're getting because a lot of the focus nowadays as the party uh, appears to shift more to the left is how many small-dollar donors you can bring in. Um, that lends a lot to your credibility as, as a grassroots candidate, as a progressive candidate. Um, aside from fundraising, we're looking also um, about uh, at the endorsements he's getting, who's getting behind him, uh, how many uh, people associated with, with President Barack Obama are joining his team, how many are endorsing him, um, what he says out of the gate. He, I know he has um, an interview with The View tomorrow that's uh, got a large female audience. He's dealing today with a lot of the fallout from his handling of the Clarence uh, Clarence Thomas hearings so long ago when he was chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and the response now that Anita Hill has after he apparently called her earlier this month to express regret. She says, of course, to the New York Times that that's not good enough for her, that she wants to see broader change. Um, there's just so much to look at in, in, in the first 24 hours. Well, and you mentioned his handling of the Anita Hill affair, not to not to make a really uh, gross pun or anything, but his handling of women in general has been an issue that has come up uh, throughout the uh, the speculation about when he would actually get into this race. You know, questions about whether uh, he has inappropriately touched people or made women uncomfortable by touching them in public and private settings. Again, this is not sort of an allegation of assault, but uh, if he is making a direct play for women uh, by, as you say, for example, starting out doing his first uh, major appearance on The View. I mean, is this something that people have already moved past, or do you think this is going to be a problem for him in the primary? I mean, the poll showed that there's a, sl- uh, there's a section and a fraction of the electorate that's already moved past this. The first comments he made after all the stories and the reports of his very physical style of interacting with people, particularly women, and how uncomfortable he made them were... In his first public setting in front of a, a, a union audience, he made jokes about it. And the audience, mostly male uh, union, they, they laughed about it. So it seems as if he read the crowd and, and did the right thing there. But that's not to say that, that women and women who could be voting for him 
um, that that's going to go over as well with them because I'm hearing a lot, especially from from younger voters, younger female voters, that he's very much out of touch, that the jokes were um, not not funny, and uh, and very I guess not to, don't play well for him as someone who respects women. And one of the other uh, disclosures today was that Biden had indicated that he had told President Obama uh, that he did not want his backing in the primary. Um, you know, can you give us a little insight into that and what, how that uh, was a calculated move? And do you buy it? Um, it, it? So President Barack Obama, if you remember, in 2016, didn't endorse Hillary Clinton over Bernie Sanders until uh, Clinton had enough delegates to basically secure the nomination. So he's pretty much stayed out of that primary as well, even though Clinton, of course, was his secretary of state. So I don't know how much... Um, it would have, it would help it would have helped of course um, but it, it sort of makes sense to me that Obama would stay out of it at this point um, to have Biden say that he didn't ask for the endorsement of course uh, elicited some humorous responses from journalists on Twitter like an equivalent would be you know I didn't ask the Pulitzer committee to award me <laughs> an award that me an award but um, it, it, there's there's no denying that that he and Obama are close how much the endorsement would mean at this point it would mean a lot. Um, it makes sense that Obama would want to stay out of it. But he, there's so many memes and pictures and stories about how close they were, their, their bromance, just that he was Obama's ride and die. Like, it, it's, it's hard uh, to imagine that Obama doesn't support him to one extent or another. And, you know, one of the other things that was interesting was the quick response from a few folks uh, immediately criticizing him. And in our second half hour, we'll, uh, we're expecting a call from uh, a uh, Queens-based assemblyman on that. But Justice Democrats also came out quickly opposing him, saying he was part of the old guard of Democrats. Uh, do you think, you know, given the progressive wave that's taken place, that we're going to be seeing a lot of this positioning him as part of an old guard? Uh, absolutely. I mean, a key line in the video, in his launch video this morning, was that, that we're in a battle for the soul of this nation. But there's also a battle for the soul of the Democratic Party. Um, one of my favorite lines that an analyst gave me is that it's not a fight to the death, but it is, of course, a battle between left and center, um, new and old. And he he might not be progressive enough for, for a, a segment of the party. He may not necessarily be the standard bearer for the the Democratic Party, according to a lot of voters, he might not represent the new Democratic Party. That's the party of, of young voters. That's the party of people of color. That's the party of uh, working people, whatever their ethnicities. He, he might be the candidate that the Democratic Party needs to seize that votes those rust out states that, that turn from blue to red in favor of Donald Trump. But he might not be the man to get behind uh, the younger, more progressive voters that are seeing their stars rise now. And that's uh, that's an interesting point. And by the way, if you're just joining us here, you're listening to Driving Forces. This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, and we're streaming live at WBAI.org. Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz here talking to Emily No of Newsday about Joe Biden getting into the race for president. And Emily, actually, something that you just said, well, I'd like to follow uh, follow up on that uh, real quick. You know, I'm just looking at this, and, and from the beginning, we were talking about after the midterms that it was, you know, so many women running, winning nominations, winning general elections, people, you know, of all different ethnic backgrounds, sexual orientations, and so on. And now you look at, but you continue, you continue to look at uh, at least the polling, the general polling in the Democratic primary, and who's at the top, basically, you know, 
old white dudes, forgive me. I mean, you know, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders. And then you have, uh, you know, a little bit further down, maybe Kamala Harris uh, and so on, Elizabeth Warren, maybe getting some traction, but you still see at least, at least the initial polls dominated by Biden and Sanders. I mean, what, is, what does that tell us about, about the Democratic primary electorate, if anything? It just always pointing out still so early that, that the Iowa caucuses aren't until next February. I mean, a lot of the polling and the respondents, I think, now are going with the name recognition. And, of course, Joe Biden as the former vice president, Bernie Sanders as the 2016 Democratic candidate, have a lot of name recognition, far more than some of the others in the field. Um, so, and another part of it might be electability, and we can sort of quibble over what that means necessarily. But um, a lot of voters have expressed to me on the ground that, that what they want is the candidate who can defeat Donald Trump. And that is uh, that end game. That's the ultimate goal is to make sure we put a nominee forward. Um, we as the Democratic, the Democratic Party, I'm sorry, um, put a nominee forward that can defeat Donald Trump come November 2020. Uh, I think that the numbers will start start to change as as I mean, maybe after the debates, when some of the other candidates get a little more face time. Um, the problem, a potential problem with Joe Biden polling so strongly and being front runner at this point is the higher you are, the farther, the farther you can fall. And if he gasps, um, there's greater scrutiny on that. If, if his fundraising numbers aren't so healthy, there's a lot more scrutiny on that. This, the spotlight's a lot, a lot brighter on the people at the top. And whether you like it about Biden or not, sometimes, you know, he does have a tendency to to speak his mind. And sometimes some of the stuff that uh, comes out of his mouth is, uh, you know, a little eyebrow raising. But but you make an interesting point there, because is this you know, these are are polls of people who are going to vote in a Democratic primary. Typically, those people will vote further to the left. And Biden, Mm -hmm. I think, is arguably a more centrist candidate than like Bernie Sanders. There was a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking after 2016 which was if you had a guy as, you know, whatever you want to call it, you know, outrageous or, you know, over the top or, or you know, outspoken as Trump, maybe you should have gone with a Bernie Sanders, right, who was going to be so far left and just have this, right. like, war of the worlds thing. Just what do you think? What do you think of that? Yeah, I sort of piggyback. I don't know if I'm answering your question directly or, or to the extent that you'd like, but just so that reminds me also that 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 Joe Biden as Barack Obama's vice president was very much the attack dog. And I've heard a lot of experts and analysts and campaign people tell me that that one strength that he'll have against Donald Trump is that he can give as good, good as he gets. And President Trump already today was tweeting insults at him, um, indicating, of course, that he sees Biden to some extent as, as a threat, name-calling already. And Joe Biden has, can turn around and, and just give that right back um, and... and and do it in sort of a, a manner that I think will cheer on on some of the some in the, in the Democratic Party. Yeah, and building on that, you know, I was reading 538. Nate Silverhead uh, mentioned that while the 1988 and 2008 campaigns ended with a criticism that he's a bad candidate, that igno- also ignores the contra- largely controversy-free performance he gave as a vice president, uh, and also as a surrogate for Clinton. Um, uh, we've got about a minute or two left before our next guest, Emily. I just, I'm really curious, you know, about the other candidates in the field now and, you know, where, like, who's going to get impacted the most uh, by this because of where Biden is strong and where they might have been strong without him being in the race. Like, who's going to be affected the most by his entrance into the race? 
Right. So I correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like he has the strongest personal connection to a state that's really crucial um, to a really crucial string street, and that's Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. He, of course, lives now lives now in, in Delaware, but he is the son of Scranton, and he will not miss an opportunity to say so. He has very he's these working class roots that he's really really going to flaunt. Um, and, and will appeal to a lot of voters. And his first event is going to be in Pittsburgh. So Pennsylvania is very crucial geographically. So in, in the field of Democratic candidates, I think some of the more moderate centrist candidates, or those who are trying to position themselves as moderate and more centrist, might be impacted. And I'm thinking, of course, of Amy, Amy Klobuchar. Yeah, I was. I, I would totally agree with you on that. That she would be because Klobuchar, right, was supposed to be the the. Okay, we can't go so far left that we, you know, fall off the edge of the flat Earth. Right. You know. <laughs> Public service message: the Earth is not flat. But we, that's probably for another program. But yeah, I mean, in the same way, people might have said that. Oh, look, you know. Um, Elizabeth Warren got into the race very, very early, and a lot of her ideas, you know, may be very similar to Bernie Sanders, who has a ton of money, maybe more name ID. So you have people uh, fighting it out. On the other hand, uh, I'm not sure it's a zero-sum game. I think we saw in the midterms that, you know, there are two ways certainly to win an election or or three. You know, one is um, get more people to come out for you, like traditional voters, or keep Mm -hmm. the other guys' voters home. Or find new voters. That's the third way. And we saw that in some of the, the midterm contests. Get people to vote who are not those triple prime voters. Bring out people who have not been in this process before. I'm curious to know if you think Joe Biden can do that. Uh, I'm, th- I'm thinking yes, because there, there are a number of Democratic primary voters um, who didn't vote in the general election. They didn't see Hillary Clinton as an appealing choice and stayed home. And I'm hearing from experts that they might regret now that Donald Trump is in office and they'll turn out for someone like Joe Biden um, in terms of in turn in terms of, of turning out new voters, younger voters. That's probably to be left to others in the field that might uh, energize a younger, more progressive base. Great. And Emily, where can people find out more about you and uh, your work at Newsday and uh, all your reporting that you're going to do that I'm going to be reading? <laughs> Uh, Newsday does excellent reporting all around, and specifically on Long Island. A lot of very talented colleagues work there, and their website is newsday.com. And you can always follow me on Twitter at EPNGO. EPNGO. Emily No of Newsday, thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI. Thank you. So as we get ready for our next guest, who I know you're going to introduce, uh, you know, I'd written some notes before because I was really curious if people are going to make, you know, if ageism will be part of this this race and I, and hmm. so I was like noting that people were talking about that how old Joe Biden would be by the time he was inaugurated, but that Bernie is like, what seventy seven now, so he'll be seventy nine on inauguration day. But Trump will be seventy four, so it's you know it's there's an interesting you know uh, it's, I won't say a range. We've got a few presidential candidates now in their seventies running. I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just you know I'm thinking of the Justice Democrats calling them the old guard, even though we wouldn't necessarily call. Donald Trump, a part of the political old guard. Right. Although, actually, our next guest, when we uh, when we get him teed up, I think we'll have some interesting stuff to say about that. I think that actually is a really good segue because uh, his argument, uh, when we uh, when we get him on the line, his argument is that um, you know 
Donald Trump being president of the United States isn't a fluke. It's not an accident. It was a very calculated, calibrated, uh, finely designed uh, program to get him where he wanted to be, and it worked. So I think that that is going to be absolutely fascinating. Do we have him? We do yes, have him? Yes, we do. Oh, okay, excellent. Well, then, perfect. I am glad to welcome to Driving Forces Aaron Short. He's a political reporter, and he's the co-author of The Method to the Madness, Donald Trump's Ascent, as told by those who were hired, fired, inspired, and inaugurated. So, Aaron, pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Celeste. So tell us a little bit more about that's a that's a great title. I'm liking it. I remember when you were working on the book. Uh, but I think we were like, where were we wandering around some like like Ivanka Trump diet plan launch thing? This is like at the Plaza Hotel. This is going back a while. I don't know if I if you remember this, but it was the oh, time. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So that's this is you. So you were going around, and this is part of this huge. You did what a hundred more than a hundred interviews for this book. Tell us about that. Yes, well, we, we spoke with a lot of different people who were close to the to the president, you know, going back 20 years and more, you know, people who've been in the news, like Steve Bannon, Roger Stone, Sam Nunberg, uh, as well as some of his much older friends, you know, Andrew Stein, Robert Torricelli, the former senator from New Jersey, uh, and then people who are sort of cordial, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're friends or they like him, like, you know, like Al Sharpton and uh, Rosie O'Donnell, who's course not a friend at all <laughs> um and it was important to talk to all these different people because this this president um i think maybe like obama but this president is a rorschach test for everyone right it's your your hopes dreams fears uh desires are sort of projected on him uh in a way that you know i think is, is kind of interesting in in that probably sort of um put him into the public imagination as this, this leadership figure um, on, on both sides of the political debate. And in order to, to write this book, we had to talk to sort of a lot of different kinds of people who've had different interactions with him and can explain all of their, you know, their dealings, their theories, and, and sort of concrete odd stories that show mm -hmm. how he ticks. So as uh, Aaron, as Celeste knows, I'm an avid reader, and you know I went through my Hillary period after her loss, and I, I read uh, several books, uh, you know, including hers, uh, for the different perspectives. But you know, some might say that the market for Trump books is just oversaturated. Tell us a little about then what you know your approach is that makes it a little different. Well, everyone is on the record. Uh, I think a lot of the books that have been out there. Uh, you know, rely on anonymous sources. You know, we have everyone speaking uh, because it's an oral history, and you know, un it's an unusual oral history in that it's sort of everyone's recollections about sort of where they were uh, with the president in the room, basically from 1999 all the way up through um, his period when he was on the the escalator announcing his presidency, uh, his candidacy. Excuse me. And <laughs> As it turned out, in his mind, yeah, in his mind, it was his presidency. But uh, you know, he had run. You know, earlier, like in 1999, he was running for president, and and then sort of pulled out. And there were all these other periods in, in his life where he was thinking of running for president. He would go through the cycle, promoting a book, going on doing media tours, uh, and then sort of changing his mind. But he would also learn different things along the way, and, and that's what our book tracks. 
So we're really tracking the making of, of the president, I think, more than a lot of other books, which are just sort of, you know, here's the crazy stuff that's happened since you know, the presidency. But um, we're, we're trying to take more of an analytical look through the, the people who've been around him to explaining how did this happen. So it, it's sort of the, you know, what happened, but with, <laughs> with Trump. <laughs> yeah, well, see, and that's one of the reasons, actually, that I was excited to get you on the program today, because I bet a lot of what you learned and what you were able to to dig into and explain about how Donald Trump made it to the White House will, will be sort of an interesting blueprint uh, for uh, what a Donald Trump versus Joe Biden contest would look like. And, uh, you know, people people say, you know, as you mentioned, that it seemed sort of fluky and sort of wacky and and that whole sort of thing. But uh, but the impression that I'm getting is that your book suggests very much the opposite in terms of structuring a campaign and delivering a message. I mean, he's he's a very talented communicator. uh, And I think that's something that people don't give him enough credit for. Um, And he's just he's very good at encapsulating what um, what will end up being the major soundbite in the next news cycle. Um, I'm sorry, he's, he's good at encapsulating sort of the major issues of the day, whether that's uh, immigration and trade, really the two tenets of his campaign um, and his his audience, um, which is, is something that we still see today. I mean, he's been sort of beating the drum basically for, you know, for almost 20 years on those topics. Uh, and there's been evolution as well. So I, I think you'll see, certainly you'll see a lot more of that. You'll see him try to run as, as narrow a victory as he can. Uh, I think they learned their lessons in, in the last cycle where they saw how close it were it was in these swing states. And I think you'll see him spend more time there um, going forward, whether it's Biden or Bernie or, or someone else. Uh, it almost doesn't matter <laughs> for, and, for Trump. And you see, yeah, you see in his response to Biden getting into the race, of course, and in case, I'll just read it real quick in case people missed it on Twitter. Uh, surprisingly, he uh, greeted the news about Biden with this, quote, Welcome to the race, Sleepy Joe. I only hope you have the intelligence, long in doubt, to wage a successful primary campaign. It will be nasty. You'll be dealing with people who truly have some very sick and demented ideas but if you make it, I will see you at the starting gate. Now, is that sort of that sort of classic Trump there, right? Or do you think this yeah. is, is is he really on his game? Is he, is he being a little extra today, or what do you think? It's going to be a little bit more difficult for Trump um, to try to like elbow his way into the Democratic race. I mean, than it was in the Republican primary because he was debating all of those people, um, and you, you know you could see. Basically, he was able to contrast them with his policies uh, and just be in the same room with them and show the contrast. And I think it might be a little bit harder now. He can just sort of reference people. But he's going to use the same techniques that he did, you know, where he was making fun of Jeb and Marco Rubio. Uh, He's going to do the same thing here with with Biden and Bernie and everyone else. Uh, I don't know how successful it will be because it's a different audience, but... uh, I think that's going to be the one interesting thing to one of the interesting things to watch. So uh, you're listening to uh, Driving Forces on WBAI, New York 99.5 FM, and streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm Jeff Simmons with my co-host Celeste Katz, and we've been talking with Aaron Short, uh, the co-author 
of the book, The Method to the Badness, Donald Trump's Ascent, as told by those who he who were hired, fired, inspired, and inaugurated. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm just I'm looking forward to to seeing this. I mean, from your research, Aaron, um, do you see Donald Trump having any weak points that in particular that somebody like Biden would be able to uh, would be able to exploit? We know he has a, a tendency to be a little thin skinned at times, doesn't necessarily like to be contradicted from what I can tell, um, you know, just from the people that you've talked to, like, what if if it turns out to be Biden and maybe it could be another candidate, but like like what's the way to get to him? I I think it depends how personal the candidates like Biden are, are willing to make this race about Trump, um, or or about his wealth, right? I mean the, the you know the president's personal wealth is always a sensitive area. Um, I think those kinds of insults, you know, are going to get to his under his skin. I think maybe going to some of the red states and some of the, the areas of strength in, in tweaking the voters who had voted for Obama but have since switched to Trump, trying to court those voters while tweaking Trump at the same time is going to get his attention. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. It almost seems like, you know, one, one thing that we've seen is that it almost seems that that Trump doesn't get bothered by the same kinds of insults that he flings. You always see reporting saying that Trump's like running while they're running around the White House. He's fuming. He's upset, fuming about this report, angry about that. I don't know if he's ever really that angry about any of this stuff. You know, he, his attention span is a lot shorter <laughs> than we give him credit for. I think he's, he probably enjoys being president more than than people give him credit for. Uh, I think he likes. You know, life in the bubble. It's probably very similar to his his life is before he, when he was a mogul. Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, what's going to set him off necessarily. Probably something very personal about you know either his relationships with women or his wealth. And I don't know if the candidates are going to go there. I think they want to talk about health care. So, Aaron, we've got about two minutes left, and what I find interesting is that every time, you know, uh, or not every time, but a, a number of times when some of these books have been issued, I'll think of, like, what, Amorosa's or even Bob Woodward's, you know, there's always, mm -hmm. like, he's trying to preempt a lot of, you know, a lot of the hoopla by actually <laughs> highlighting it more by criticizing the book. I'm curious what you think, you know, if you could envision this, what what do you think his reaction is going to be, and... Uh, if he's coming up with nicknames for everyone, what do you think your nickname is going to be? If it won't be Sleepy Aaron because he's already <laughs> using Sleepy Joe. Yeah. Well, I you know never, never want to discount a nickname. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not sure. He might not like. I don't really know what he's he's going to dislike here. I don't want to put words into into the president's mouth. <laughs> um, he may not like what Rosie has to say or or what. Or Al Sharp, or, or what Al Sharpton has to say, mm -hmm. um, and some of the other sort of former aides that are sprinkled throughout the book. Uh, he may not like the Apprentice coverage either, but I'm not sure to how much he thinks about the Apprentice day to day. It, certainly, that was a, a great experience for him. It shaped him as a leader. Um, but you know, there's going to be a lot of stuff there, uh, which is going to be very surprising. I think we, we have a lot of other uh, new coverage that's coming out, especially from the, the uh, early days, mm -hmm. from 
his first presidential run in 1999 and, and The Apprentice, behind the scenes of The Apprentice, and the so, making of the show, I, you know, so it I, might be, he might nitpick some of that, but we'll see. So as we wrap up, I do want to, I don't even know if we mentioned your co-author, but I want to make sure Alan Sockin, who I oh, work with, walked with, worked with briefly at the New York Post eons ago. Uh, so we go Brilliant back. author. Uh, so for our listeners, when does the book come out? Who's publishing it? Uh, you know, how soon can they get a copy? Sure. Well, it's going to be out on July 9th at St. Martin's, uh, you know, from Macmillan. And uh, you can pre-order it on Amazon right now. Are you doing an audio version, too? We are actually going to be recording parts of it. Wow. It's going to be fun. Uh, they have a voice actor uh, playing Trump. Oh. Not Alec Baldwin. It's someone else. <laughs> um, but they've they've hired voice actors to be various people, uh, and then we're going to read parts of it. We'll read our words because it's not just everyone's voices. Like we we write some of the context in between, sort of to give you a step back to say what was going on during the time when all of these crazy things were happening. Aaron Short is the co-author of The Method to the Madness, Donald Trump's Ascent as Told by Those Who Were Hired, Fired, Inspired, and Inaugurated. Aaron, where can people find out more about you and your work? Um, well, my co-author's got his website up. It's uh, Um I'm still building the website, but I'm also on Twitter at Aaron Short Story. <laughs> See what you did uh, there. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Aaron Short, pleasure to have you on the program. And we will look forward to having you back when the book actually hits. That'd be great. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks. So uh, I want to go right to our next guest because at the outset of the show we have talked uh, uh, we had talked about uh, Joe Biden. Uh, we're going to uh, see if we can get our third guest on the line shortly. But uh, we do want to take your calls too. Remember, 212 Two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Joe Biden for president. What do you think? Can he beat Donald Trump? Would you rather see Bernie Sanders beat Donald Trump? Uh, I understand that they're they're letting women run for president now. What do you think about uh, <laughs> you know maybe some of uh, some of those uh, contenders? Um, do you think Joe Biden is is not progressive enough? Just progressive enough? What do you think? Give us a call two one two two zero nine. Two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Should we talk about Joe Biden, or do you want to bother people for money for one second? Well, no. One thing. Oh, actually, yeah, I do want to bother people for money. Well, and we'll come right back to Joe Biden. Uh, at the outset of the show, uh, you know, Celeste uh, had talked about this, but what's interesting is sometimes while we're on air, you'll hear a siren or you'll hear a door slam. But in our studio, the new one that we're building right down the hall, with your support, you won't hear those noises anymore. So we're hoping that you can participate in our More Than Mike's campaign. And uh, if you can contribute, we're just looking for even $50 each from 200 listeners. You just got to call 516-620-3602. But you can also text WBAI to uh, 41444 or even just go to WBAI. Dot O-R-G and uh, help make this a soundproof studio. For that us. would be that would be really awesome. We are we are probably just far away 
uh, just far away enough from the bathroom so you don't actually have to hear like the water <laughs> running or anything else, which is you know a lucky break for us. But legitimately, legitimately, this is uh, this is something that we've been working on for a long time, and we really do want to bring you quality programming. We are working with very very old equipment. We want to have more phone lines. We want to have good phone lines so that when James picks up your call, you actually get to, you get to be on the air. Uh, so like like once again, once again, this is really really important. Please go to wbai.org or give us a call 516-620-3602 516-620-3602 any amount that you can give we would really really appreciate it please support this this is community supported non-commercial non-corporate radio so our switchboard has been uh, lighting up with calls we're going to take a call now uh, and uh, James will patch him in in just one brief moment uh, to be able to talk about uh, what's on their mind. Hi, uh, welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? My name is Peter. I'm calling from Glenridge, New Jersey. Ah, I'm a Bergen County boy. I believe that's Bergen County, right? No, Essex. Ah, Essex, sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking of Glen Rock. <laughs> oh, you're right. You get their male accent, like Glenn, Glenn. Uh, so, so uh, Joe Biden, no, what do you think? No, actually, you know, I'm not thrilled with uh, Joe Biden, but, you know, I, Glenn Ridge, you, you go one town over is Bloomfield, and the next town over is Newark. Mm-hmm. I like Cory Booker. Ah, interesting. I like Cory Booker. For the reason is he's so well spoken, and there was a, an incident, uh, whatever. I mean, I like his character. He, there was, you remember, he ran into a burning house. Yeah, and he wrecked yeah. with these people. I mean, that tells me a lot about someone. There are so many people who who run away from trouble. He ran toward it. I mean, and you can't you can't script those things. It's just in your nature to to come to go to the rescue and and. Uh, he, he was also interviewed on that uh, NPR show called On Being, and he was just, he's a vegan. I like his mindset. I mean, it, it, it's all part of a certain personality where he's just reaching out. He's not self, he's the opposite of Trump. Like, he's not self-absorbed, you know? He's like, it's in his nature to care and reach out, mm-hmm. whether it be to animals or run into a burning house. That just says so much more than what policy are you in favor of. You know, it's that thing of like, when the chips are down, are you going to run into the house or run away from it? And he ran in. Well, that's a, that's a very interesting observation. Thank you so much. That's a, an interesting point. We haven't talked about some of the other candidates in such detail, but we are talking about Joe Biden today. Give us a call, 212 209 So I believe we also have a New York State Assemblyman on the phone, James? Great. Uh, just as we were getting ready to do the show, I noticed that uh, Assemblyman Ron Kim had posted uh, an opinion piece on BuzzFeed News. So we wanted to bring him on because he has a specific opinion about Joe Biden's entrance into the race. Assemblyman, welcome to WBAI. Do we have you on the on the line, Ron Kim? Ah, yeah, no. Okay, see, well, okay. we did. But what I'll do is for our listeners, I'm just going to read one portion 
uh, which is that. <laughs> you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to read one phone number, which is if you want the phone lines here to work, I am not kidding. Please pledge just as, as much or as little as you possibly can. 516-620-3602. 516-620-3602. Or go to WBAI.org and uh, give us a pledge so this won't happen. We need equipment. We need your help to put on good, solid uh, community radio programming here without commercials, without, uh, without corporate money. Uh, we are not. We are not supported by the super PACs. We are running. We are running <laughs> a grassroots campaign here. Text WBAI to four one four four four. So we're just trying to get the assemblyman on the phone. Let's see if we've got him. Okay, we've got assemblyman Ron Kim on the phone. Welcome to Driving Forces. Hi, assemblyman. Yes. Hi. How are you? All right. We'll get right to the point. What do you have against Joe Biden? Well, you know, we, we are suffering as a country. Uh, we're crushing student debt. Uh, and we're on the verge of giving up all of our privacy uh, in the middle of this new age surveillance capitalism. And, you know, we didn't do this overnight. It took decades of design policies that have led us to this point. And, and for me, it's Joe Biden and other, other pro of corporate Democrats and neoliberal philosophies that have led us to this point. And, and, and yes, many Democrats have voted up um, just they were complicit in the process. But Biden himself wrote some of the language, advocated some of these uh, the, the, some of the, the legislative packages of the Patriot Act um, that have give endless immunity to telecommunications to track and monitor us. And, and, and just stripping away some of our basic inalienable rights of privacy. Um, and there's no way that we should be embracing someone like him uh, in 2020, especially when, when we need answers, uh, not um, someone like him is going to perpetuate the problems. So who do you I mean, is, is this this is part of a general uh, question about is Biden too, you know, too old school? Is he not going far enough? Is he? Uh, he's not going to be, you know, the third term of Barack Obama. He can't replicate that. Is that is that part of what you're, what you're thinking? Yeah, or? we don't we we don't need any more neoliberal Democrats. We're going to continue to focus on bailing out uh, the big banks and 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 rely on big tech corporations to resolve our social inequities. You know, we need to go back into and, and implement policies that creates real wealth and circulates money back to our local communities. And go back to what we're good at, which is creating real sustainable jobs in local communities. And we walked away from those policies. You know, we, you know, every time the economy busts, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's the corporate Democrats that have been in office that were at the forefront of giving away billions of dollars um, to these banks. And, and, but what about the people? You know, and this is not a nuanced idea. We used to be good at going to help the people first. You know, doing the great uh, deal, uh, FDR's New Deal, and we was after he bailed out the, the big banks or, and corporations, he actually went and, 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 and helped write down some of these distressed underwater mortgages. You know, we mm-hmm. never got to that point. And in 10 years, we're facing some of the worst household debt 
crisis that we've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. And, and we're sleepwalking into another financial crisis. Mm-hmm. And it was the bad policies of, of people like Joe Biden when he was in the Senate that led us to this point. So, so Assemblyman, if you had to sum up uh, in one sentence, basically, your argument for why you know, Joe Biden ain't it, what would you tell people? Joe Biden helped create some of the worst economic crisis that we're facing, and he should be held accountable, not rewarded to the White House. Great. Thank you so much. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Assemblyman. Great. Thank you. So as we've noted, the switchboard continues to light up. So we're going to take another call right now. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and what's on your mind? Uh, I think Biden's probably got a pretty good Senate record. It seems like it would be a good choice, but Trump is going to clobber him on using government position to profit. Him and his son, Hunter Biden, are getting millions of dollars from Ukraine and China. And Trump is going to contrast this to the things he's being accused of, and Biden's going to be washed up. So you think that so Biden Biden's vulnerable, you're saying? His son is named Hunter Biden. He got a job he wasn't qualified for, but he brought in the money. $1.8 million aid to Ukraine, mm-hmm. then $3.1 million into Hunter Biden's bank account. So interesting, interesting point there. And thank you for your call. And that, look, that's that's a legitimate question, aside from some of the issues that we already talked about, uh, about Joe Biden. Uh, you know, there's there's other stuff here that certainly will be uh, picked over by uh, opposition researchers, uh, by the president's uh, reelection campaign, uh, by uh, other people in the Democratic field. Lots going on here. What do you think? Joe Biden. I mean, can he is he the right guy for this? Is this the guy that he can beat Donald Trump? Because that's really in the end. Is that really the that's really the goal here? I mean, does it even matter to you? who we get as long as that person is the right person to beat Donald Trump. Do you care if it's Bernie Sanders or Amy Klobuchar or Cory Booker or Kamala Harris or or Jeff Simmons? I mean, I vote for <laughs> Jeff Simmons personally, but that's just, you know, I'm not trying to influence you. I, I support him on, on foreign policy, uh, Be- trade. Well, because, you know, my platform is free dog care for all. You know what? I mean, how can you not vote for that? 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. I know we have a lot of Bernie Sanders fans, I think, out there. What do you, what do you guys think about this? As a matter of fact, I just got an email from the Bernie Sanders campaign with the subject line, Joe Biden. This ought to be interesting. Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden on the same debate stage. What do you think about that? So we do have someone on the line. Let's bring him on. Welcome to WBAI. What's your name and where are you from? Hi, um, I'm Jackie Smith. I'm from Rockridge. So what do you think about Joe Biden? I think we need to not make another mistake like we did this past election. And um, I just think he's not really pointing in the direction that the people really want. Like, it's not in our best interest. I think we need to get a, a, a more open-minded person and somebody who's going to really fight for the people and not make a business out of the presidential uh, Okay. No, thank you. And also, wait a minute. Yeah, I just, I think, like, it's very sad 
that Obama was blocked in all his appointments for the Supreme Court, and now Trump gets to make all these other false kind of appointments. And Obama ran on change. I think that's what, what this country needs. It needs a big change. And do you think Joe Biden represents change? No. Okay. Well, that's a that's a very interesting point. Thank you very much for your call. That's a that's a good question. Let me ask you. You know, as you're calling in two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. Is uh, Joe Biden going to bring change to this country, or is he just more of the same? What do you think? Give us a call, 212-209-2877. And one of the things that 538 had pointed out that I know you will enjoy talking about, Celeste, okay. is that uh, one of the liabilities could be that his media coverage will likely be unfriendly. Ah, interesting. Well, well, I'll, I'll look at that because, uh, you know, as opposed to the president who thinks all his media <laughs> coverage is awesome. Uh, but oh, wait, here we go. Oh, my God. Christmas time again on the switchboard. WBAI, you're on the air. What? What's your name? Where are you from? I'm Rose. I'm, I'm from Manalapan, New Jersey. Hey, Rose. What do you think of Joe Biden? Well, I'm very sorry that he decided to run Ooh. because I think it's going to spoil it for Bernie. Uh-huh. Tell me more about that. Why? Why is it going to spoil it for Bernie? Well, Bernie, in the last election, he was projected to win over Trump by 17 percent, if you remember that. He and- could do it again. You could do it again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're going to split the vote in so many ways, it's going to be difficult. He's, he's, he's the man for us. You know what I mean? Uh, there are all the great candidates. I like them all. Mm-hmm. But uh, we can only vote for one. Absolutely. I, and I oh, thank you, Rosa. I lost you there, but uh, we still have more calls. Thank you for your call. Uh, what do you think? Uh, Joe Biden, is he the uh, the man of the hour here or uh, bad timing? You're on the air. WBAI. What's your name? Where are you from? Eugene, uh, Jersey. OK, Eugene, what's uh, what's your verdict here? Uh, I think we need Joe Biden. Yeah. OK. Harris. Yeah. Tell, tell me why. Uh, nobody else is going to beat Trump. Nobody else. I mean, everybody else who knew Bernie divided the party with Hillary Clinton. And uh, I watched this for a long time. I was heartbroken when Trump became president. So Joe Biden's our best bet. Kamala Harris is vice president, and we got it from there. And everybody come together and stop this bickering between us because the Republicans are they're, they're like glue. They're together. No, I hear. Need to go. I absolutely hear what you're saying, and thank you for your call. Really appreciate it. We're trying to get to as many of your calls as you can. I see people have feelings about Joe Biden here. Give us a call two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven W B A I. You're on the air. What's your name and where you're from? I'm calling from Harlem. Okay, so um, what do you think about Joe Biden? Uh, no Joe, no Joe, not at all. No Joe. Is uh, you know the, the problem with a lot of these um, individuals like Joe Biden, and also the blessing because you get to see it on a uh, Harper's.com. There's an, an excellent article about his legislative record, and in there it shows you that he was against the busing. He was with the arch segregationist Strom Thurmond. Hmm. He voted to support the crime bill, which which many people benefited from from. Uh, many many individuals, uh, including myself, being kept incarcerated. His whole legislative record, he was for the Iraq war. He's been a right-wing crypto-fascist Democrat. So 
No, Joe. And and plus, with with all of these people, with the exception, I'd have to say, of Elizabeth Warren mm -hmm. and Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren is my favorite. None of these people have an economic program. Huh. Right? It's all about the politics of their identity, hmm. how great they are, their families, and none of the stuff that's really going to help us. She's the only one that has an economic program. Hmm. Because Very without economic rights, you know, you know, you, we can get married to whoever we want to, mm -hmm. but if you don't have a job and you're homeless and you have no prospects for the future, none of these people are dealing with economics. Right? Thank so you. I, I really hope they expose Joe, mm -hmm. who and what he is, a right-wing Democrat and no Joe. Okay, well, thank you very, very much for your call. We are going to move on to the next call, but I think that certainly you will uh, you will see a lot of people picking uh, picking his record apart. We have a lot of calls coming in, so I'm going to ask people, please keep it brief. Uh, you're on the air, uh, WBAI. What's your name? Where, do you, where are you from? What do you think of Joe Biden? Okay, Keith from uh, Middle Island, New York. Okay, go. Uh, okay, uh, I, I, I will go with whoever the Democratic nominee is, even as Joe Biden, because I think he will pick Stacey Abrams as his running mate. But he's not my choice. My choice is Elizabeth Warren, and I think that she should pick, like, Cory Booker as her running mate because they're not going to elect two women. So, but I think she's far and away the best candidate. Well, thank you so much for calling in to Driving Forces. We'd like to thank our guests, Emily No and Aaron Short, and also Colin from Assemblyman Ron Kim. Of course, our engineer, James. Yes, thank you very much. This is Driving Forces with Celeste Katz and Jeff Simmons every Thursday at 5 o'clock here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM. Look for us on iTunes. If I had a hammer, I'd have to them all, and believe me. Friday, May 3rd, is the 100th anniversary of the birth of the legendary musician and activist Pete Seeger. Pete had a rich history over the years with WBAI among many organizations, and we will celebrate his life on that day with special programming from 9 a.m. till midnight. Programs with him from our archives and others ranging from the early 60s to 2013. Conversations with people who had connections to him and lots of his music and wisdom. If you're a Pete fan or want to know more about him, you won't want to miss it. So once again, Friday, May 3rd, a celebration of Pete Seeger here on WBAI from 9 a.m. till midnight. Saturday, April 27th, please come to a concert of Songs for Solidarity, featuring Mario Conkel, Lindsay Wilson, and myself, Judy Gorman. 100% of all proceeds will support asylum-seeking immigrant families now living with members and friends of the First Unitarian Congregation of Brooklyn in downtown Brooklyn. For info, please go to songsforsolidarity.b. P T dot M E Songs for Solidarity dot B P T dot M E. Thank you. This is Dr. Mambo from the World of Jazz. Performing musicians are committed to lending their support to 
the return of musical instruments to our classrooms. Central Brooklyn Jazz Festival in its 20th year is the forum. International Jazz Day is the day. Location for this event? Club Milk River, 960 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn. That's April 30th, 2019. Doors open at 6 p.m. This is an early evening event. This is Dr. Mambo from the World of Jazz. And you're tuned to listener-sponsored, non-commercial Pacifica Radio. This is listener-sponsored WBAI in New York. We broadcast at 99.5 FM. We stream at WBAI.org. But you know that already, don't you? We're sure you do. So coming up next is going to be the WBAI Evening News. You just heard Jeff Simmons and Celeste Katz doing Driving Forces. That came to you live as well. And we have a full evening of programming coming up here on WBAI. I know you hear noises in the background, and that's because WBAI is in an incompetent studio right now. We're